Timothy chapter one. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter one. We are going to uh, continue to think about Mother's Day today by meditating on the theme of legacy. You see, this passage from 2 Timothy is Paul encouraging Timothy, his son in the faith, to pursue his calling in light of the legacy of faith that came before him. In particular, as we'll see in this text, his mother and his grandmother. So I think that on Mother's Day 2023, it's a good opportunity for us to ask ourselves as followers of Christ, what kind of legacy are we going to leave behind? Let me put it this way. What are other people going to say about you after you're gone? What kind of difference will your life have made for the kingdom of God, whether that be through uh, fulfilling the vocation of being a mother or a father or whatever God has placed you in in life? The point is not where you are. The point is what you are doing with where God has placed you. And today, here's the main point that I want us to see. We should remember the legacy of faith of those who came before us and boldly pursue our spirit-empowered calling. With that in mind, we're going to study 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. As we read, let's go ahead and start in verse 1 just so that we can get the full context. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I am remind, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So as we study these verses this morning, let's start with just a little bit of context here. So 2 Timothy was the last letter written by the Apostle Paul. He was in prison for preaching the gospel, and he's um, getting ready to be executed. He's getting ready to be martyred for his faith. So this is his last words, essentially. This is his last letter, and he wrote his last letter to encourage his son in the faith, Timothy, to be faithful in his ministry. So as we've seen in verse two, he calls Timothy, my beloved child. Now, obviously he's not speaking literally. The apostle Paul didn't have any kids. He never married, but Timothy was his son in the faith. He was his spiritual son. He was the one who he discipled, who he mentored, who he invested in for over a decade. And Paul devotes his last letter to encouraging his son in the faith. And in this introductory passage that we're going to study for the rest of this letter, Paul praises God for Timothy, and he gives him encouragement for his ministry. So the first thing that we see in this passage, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is love for a spiritual son. We see Paul's love, (coughs) excuse me, for his spiritual son in the faith. There's three ways that he displays this love. The first is through grateful prayer through grateful prayer. Look at verse three with me. He says, I thank God whom I serve. He is thanking God for Timothy. And he gives this side note, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. He's talking there about the legacy of faith that came before him. 
Paul is starting with his own legacy. Now he is continuing in this line of serving God with a clear conscience. And this is what he says. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. That's emphatic. He's saying constantly, Timothy, I'm praying for you. When are you praying for me? Night and day. He is regularly, consistently praying for Timothy. This is how he demonstrates love for him. We drastically, as Christians, far too often underestimate the power of prayer. There is nothing more powerful that Paul could have said to Timothy than this. That what is on his mind as he's sitting in jail about to be executed? Timothy. And he's praying for him constantly. Let me tell you one of my least favorite sayings. Uh, I've said it, you've said it, we've all said it, but it's a pet peeve of mine when I hear it. It drives me nuts. Well, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray about it. Well, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray. I guess there's nothing left to do but talk to the only one who can actually do something about it. I guess there's nothing left to do but talk to the sovereign creator and king of kings over all things who actually might be able to help. Nothing left to do but that. (sighs) There is nothing more powerful Paul could have said to Timothy than that. I am constantly praying for you. I am praying for you night and day. So let me ask you, are you regularly praying for the people in your life? understanding that God can do more in five seconds than we can do in five decades. Are you regularly praying for the people in your life? And here's another question, a follow-up to it. Do they know it? Because he told Timothy, I'm praying for you. And you know how big of an encouragement that would be to that young man's faith, that his mentor, his father in the faith is regularly praying for him? Let's make sure we're praying for the people in our lives and that we tell them that. So he demonstrated love through grateful prayer. He demonstrated love next by talking about their personal relationship. We get an insight in verse four into just how personal, how intimate Paul and Timothy's relationship was. Verse four says this, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I remember your tears, Timothy. I think this probably refers to the last time they were together and they had to part ways and it probably was a tear-filled goodbye a difficult goodbye. He says to Timothy, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. They probably experienced well over a decade of friendship and ministry together side by side. He calls him my son in the faith. He calls him my beloved child. Paul knew Timothy intimately. He had a personal relationship with him. I want to take just a minute because this will be helpful through the course of the sermon to sketch a little portrait of Timothy because we know a lot about Paul right? The apostle Paul's the man. If you're a Christian, you know about Paul. Like half of the book of Acts is about Paul. All these letters in the New Testament written by Paul. We know a lot about Paul, but not so much about Timothy. You know, the Robin to his Batman, if you will. He is his protege in the faith. And I want to give you a little sketch of what the Bible shows us about Timothy, both his weaknesses and his strengths. First weakness, he was young. He was young. He was a very young man. That's why he had to say to him in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you, anybody know the rest, for your youth, but instead be an example. He was a very young man. But on top of being young, I think he had a proclivity for being timid. He had a tendency to be fearful. This is why when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and if you know anything about the Corinthian church, that was a disaster of a church. It was a train wreck. So this is what he says when he had to send Timothy to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16. 
when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. In other words, take it easy on him. I know how y'all are. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Again, in case they missed it. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way. How? In peace that he may return to me for I'm expecting him with the brothers. In other words, he's writing ahead of time before Timothy gets there. Guys, take it easy on him. Take it easy on him. The apostle Paul was this bold, courageous warrior for Christ. Timothy was more, more tenderhearted, I think, this picture that we get. He also had health issues. So he's young, he's timid, and he had health issues. Look at 1 Timothy 5.23. He says to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine. Sorry, Baptist friends. For the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Again, stomach issues, frequent ailments. We're getting this picture of a young man who is timid and has health issues. Not exactly the picture of this courageous warrior that you would expect, but there's more. What about his strengths? I think Timothy was incredibly gifted. I think he was awesome. I think you would have looked at him as like first overall draft pick of ministry type material. Here's why. Here's a young man that Paul leaves in charge in Ephesus, a major church. And he tells him in the beginning of 1 Timothy, I'm leaving you there to deal with the false teachers. It's a hard assignment. So he leaves him in Ephesus and we get these reminders, even in this text about the gift of God that is in him through the laying on of hands. Again, in 1 Timothy chapter four. So he was gifted, but he also had a pastor's heart, a pastor's heart. Philippians 2.20 says, I have no one like Timothy who is as concerned for your welfare. So he's incredibly gifted and he loves the church. All of this is to say that Paul knew Timothy intimately he had a personal relationship with him that informs all of this. So now, how does this have relevance for us? Let me ask you, do you have a personal relationship with people that are leading you to become more like Christ? And do you have a personal relationship with people that you are leading to become more like Christ? Let me put it in these terms. I think every Christian needs a Paul and every Christian needs a Timothy. We all need a Paul. We all need a Timothy. We all need a Paul, someone who is more spiritually mature than us, that is mentoring us, that is speaking into our life, that is encouraging us, that is holding us accountable. We all need a Timothy. We all need someone that we are doing that for. So let me ask you, do you have that? The biblical word we could use for that is discipleship. Paul and Timothy are my favorite example of discipleship in the Bible this incredible example of life-on-life -life discipleship. And far too often in the church, we treat discipleship as if it's merely a program. You read the book, you check the box, you've been discipled. Now, that's certainly a part of it. I love books. I'm a big book guy. You should read more books. However many you're reading, you should read another one. That's how much I like books. But here's the deal. Discipleship is a lot more than just reading books. It's about doing life together and imitating the course of a person's life who is following Jesus. It's like Paul when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, because more is often caught than taught. Pastor Andrew likes to use the phrase refrigerator rights. The people that you're, deciding, that you're discipling should have refrigerator rights. You know what that means? It means they don't got to ask. Just open up the fridge and go get what they want. In our small group, in fact, if you knock, it probably means you're new, <laughs> because we have that kind of relationship where you just walk on in and you just get what you want. We should have those kinds of relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can grow to be more like Christ. But the third thing is sincere faith. He praises God for Timothy's sincere faith. Verse five, 
I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. In the original, it's, it's a faith that is without hypocrisy. I love that a faith that is without hypocrisy. It's genuine. It's real. To use the coastal word, it's authentic. He's praising God for Timothy's authentic faith. But more to the point of our sermon this morning, where did that authentic faith come from? Verse five, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And since it is Mother's Day, let's take a couple of minutes of our rabbit trail and let's talk together about the impact of family faith. I wanna meditate on the important role that Lois and Eunice played in the development of Timothy because it probably would not be a stretch to say there would probably be no Timothy as we know him apart from these two incredible women that God used in his life. So we are first introduced to Timothy in the Bible in Acts chapter 16 where we learn that Timothy had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. So we can presume, because we never hear about his dad again, maybe his dad was not a believer, but his mother and grandmother had a deep faith. And here's what's interesting. Paul, over a decade later, knows Timothy's mom and grandma on a first name basis, which means clearly they had an impact on Timothy and an impact on Paul. But how? How did they impact him? Paul tells us, actually, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is what it says. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, I think that's Lois and Eunice, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. In other words, Lois and Eunice from childhood taught Timothy the word of God. That's how they impacted his life. They taught him the sacred writings that are able to make you wise for salvation. Moms, let me tell you, one of the best things that you can do to leave a legacy for your kids is to teach them the word of God, to teach them the word of God, to make sure that they know the word. How can we do this? Let me give you a few suggestions. We can do this both formally and informally. Formally, through setting aside time, through scheduling time to study the word together. You can call it family worship, call it family devotions. That It doesn't have to be anything fancy or elaborate. Just after dinner, let's read a couple of verses and let's talk about your day and let's pray. Spending some time together in the word. It could be informal. Deuteronomy chapter six, we talked about it recently about how, hey, when you're walking down the road, when you're driving in the car, when you're in line at Starbucks, not all that's in Deuteronomy, but when you're doing all these things, the point is no matter what you're doing, make sure that you're talking about God, that you're talking about his word. Because here's the bottom line, parents, God will hold us accountable for whether we have been faithful to disciple our children. Sure, we bring alongside faithful teachers and the church and all of these things to help disciple our children, but God will hold us responsible to make sure that our children know the word. But this verse where Eunice and Lois get a shout out is a reminder to us, it's one of many in scripture, about the high calling that motherhood is. The Bible is a story filled with incredible moms, filled with it. In fact, did you realize that the first promise of the gospel in the Bible involves motherhood? Genesis 3.15, the Lord said to the serpent, I will cause enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. In other words, the savior of the world is going to come through a mom. That's why there's such a prominent role for Mary in the New Testament through the virgin birth, giving birth to the Lord. 
and her faithfulness. There's so many stories about incredible moms in scripture, from Sarah to Rebecca to Mary. There's stories about God answering the prayers of moms in scripture. I love the story of Hagar and Ishmael after they get kicked out and read that whole story on your own. They're in the desert and they're about to die and she prays and then God answers her prayers and he provides for them. And she says, you are the God who sees me. But my favorite has to be the story of Hannah. That's why I named my firstborn daughter Hannah, and my favorite mom in the Bible. And so if you guys know the story of Hannah, it's the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 1, where Hannah is married to a guy named Elkanah, and she was barren. She was not able to have children, and she was really down about it. And Elkanah showed the wisdom of a husband who knows how to comfort his wife uh, when he said, why are you sad? Am I not worth more to you than 10 sons? <laughs> showing that husbands have this wonderful ability to put our foot in our mouths, even thousands of years ago. Uh, but this is what ends up happening in the story. 1 Samuel 1, verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and forget not your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Do you know what Hannah's saying here? She's saying, God, if you give me everything I ever wanted, I'll give it right back to you. That's faith. That is faith. That is surrender to the will of God to the ultimate extent. And God answered her prayer. But this is also another reminder. Parents, we might not say it as bluntly as Hannah, but the reality is our children are only ours for a season. They're God's kids. We're stewards. We get to raise God's kids. What a privilege, what a blessing, and what a responsibility that is. So to the moms here this morning, I wanted just to take a few minutes this morning because I want you to be encouraged. Guys, there is no more difficult job in the world because I watch my wife do it. There is no more difficult job. There is no more thankless job. And you feel sometimes alone. You feel like no one sees the 2 a.m. wake-ups and the diaper changes and the lunches packed and the tear-filled hugs and all of those other things. But let me tell you, God sees. God rewards. And in Christ, God is well-pleased with you. Every moment of faithfulness. But now, let's continue in verse 5. He talks about this faith that is in Lois and Eunice. And then he says, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. It dwells in you as well. In other words, it wasn't just Lois and Eunice's faith. It is now Timothy's faith. It became his own. And here's the point I'd like to make here. Your faith must become your own. You cannot be saved by your family's faith. You can't be saved by your mom's faith or your grandmother's faith or your dad's faith. Your faith has to become your own. And there are many examples in scripture of terrible kids being born to awesome parents. Let me give you an example. Think about Hezekiah. He's like my favorite king in the Old Testament. Been reading through 2 Chronicles. He's awesome. His kid was the worst king in the Old Testament, Manasseh. He basically, for all intents and purposes, caused the exile because of how terrible he was. Was Hezekiah some terrible dad? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, but personally, I don't think so. We all have seen it, right? There are examples of terrible kids being born to godly parents and the opposite. 
The point here is that it is an important, we just talked about the importance of godly, faithful parenting, and God does use that in powerful ways. But at the end of the day, our children are responsible before God, and their faith has to become their faith. And I know what some of y'all might be thinking. You might be quoting Proverbs at me in your mind right now. Oi, Pastor Nate, what about train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he won't depart from it? Guys, I think we often make that verse into what I'd call a parenting prosperity gospel. Here's what I mean by that. We assume that as long as I do the right things as a parent, then my kids are going to end up right. And if they don't, I must have done something wrong. Maybe, or... Or maybe they are responsible before God, and at some point their faith has to become their faith. That's an important principle for us to learn this morning. Simply being good parents does not guarantee that our children will be saved because they are not saved by parenting alone. They're saved by faith alone. So here's why I say all of that. I want to offer an encouragement both to parents and to children. To the parents, you are not the Savior You cannot save your children. Jesus is the savior. Your job is not to save them. Your job is to point to him, to proclaim him. And so in light of that, you can take a deep breath because it's not up to you. You can relax because salvation belongs to the Lord. What do we do? We pray for our children fervently. We faithfully teach them the word of God. We regularly proclaim the gospel to our children. And above all else, we love them unconditionally while resting in the sovereign grace of God. And to the children, let me tell you, don't believe that you can be saved because of your parents' faith. Don't bank on your parents' faith because I've heard it put this way. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. He's not our grandfather in heaven. He's our father in heaven. That faith as it became Timothy's has to become yours as well. And that happens through the gospel. It happens as you turn from your sins and you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who died for our sins, bodily rose from the grave three days later so that when we trust in him, we will have eternal life. That's the gospel. So just to recap, we've seen the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. We've seen the legacy of faith that his mother and grandmother had left behind and the reality that their faith now dwelt in Timothy as well. And now Paul is going to charge Timothy to fulfill the mission that God has entrusted to him. This is what comes next in the passage, a reminder for gospel ministry. Reminder for gospel ministry. Look with me at verse six. Excuse me. For this reason, or in light of everything that I've just told you, Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He tells him two things here. The first of which is use your gift. Use your gift. Fan into flame the gift of God. You can almost get that mental image in your mind. I want you, it it speaks of intensity and passion. I want you to passionately use the gift that God has given you that has come through the laying on of hands. It reminds me of 1 Timothy 4.14. Paul says something similar. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I take this to be the unique spiritual gift that God has given Timothy in order to fulfill the ministry calling that God had given him. He's telling him, I want you to pour some gasoline on that fire, Timothy. 
I want you to passionately and fervently use your gift. As he says in Romans 12, 11, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. He's trying to light a fire under Timothy here. He's saying, get to work. Use your gift. And what exactly was Timothy's gift? What was he called to do? Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He's saying, Timothy, preach the gospel. Timothy, preach the gospel, use your gift. And listen, there are many people in this room who that's not what God has called you to do, but how he has gifted you and what he has called you to do. The call for us remains the same. We are to use the gifts that God has given us for his glory. And let me ask you this this morning. If your spiritual gifts are like a flame, are you pouring gasoline on that fire or are you letting those embers burn out by misuse? How are you using the gifts and abilities that God has given you in order to advance his kingdom? But he doesn't tell him to do that in his own strength. It's not as if this is all up to Timothy because he's about to remind him of where the power comes from. And that's when he tells him to remember the spirit. He tells him to remember the spirit. Verse seven begins with four, showing us the connection with verse six. In other words, Timothy, pursue your calling to proclaim the gospel because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Let me complain about the ESV for a second. I think that spirit should be capitalized. I think that spirit should be capitalized. This is not some random spirit here. This is the spirit of God. This is the Holy Spirit. It is for God gave us a spirit that is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he's saying, does not produce fear in us, but the Holy Spirit instead produces power and love and self-control, similar to what we read in Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And as we've seen when we painted a portrait of Timothy, I think that he was prone to this. I think that this is a temptation that he had to be fearful, to be timid. And so Paul is reminding him that that's not coming from the spirit. That's the flesh. He's saying that the Holy Spirit does not produce fear, but instead empowers you for ministry, empowers you to do what you're called to do. He's saying, Timothy, instead of walking in fear, instead of walking in fear, the Holy Spirit produces power power. This is the enablement to do what God has called us to do. You know, I love in the Old Testament, you know how you know the Holy Spirit came upon someone in the Old Testament? It wasn't because the worship band hit the build up just right. And it was awesome. How do you know the Holy Spirit came on somebody in the Old Testament? Because they picked up a sword and they went to battle. You read the book of Judges, man. The Spirit of God comes upon somebody, they grab a donkey's jawbone and they kill 800 dudes with it. I'm not saying, not recommending that for you today, unless you, you know, you're trying to start a new ministry or something. You know, I don't know. Anyway, um, what I'm saying is that the Spirit, when He comes, He empowers us to do what God has called us to do. He empowers us to do what God has called us to do. But next, love right? That's the first fruit of the Spirit. You guys know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, so on and so forth. The first is love. 
The Holy Spirit empowers us to love God and to love others. But next, self-control. It's interesting. That's the last fruit of the Spirit. He mentions both. Love, self-control. This is the ability to restrain the desires of our flesh and instead surrender to the will of God, to walk in obedience to the will of God. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, in light of the presence and the power of the Spirit in your life, man, pour some gasoline on that fire. Fan into flame the gift of God because the Spirit is empowering you to do it. And listen, guys, do you realize that the same Holy Spirit that dwelt in Timothy dwells in you if you're in Christ? Same Spirit. So you and I have no excuse not to fan into flame the gift of God that we have and to pursue the callings that God has given us. So let me leave you with a few takeaways this morning. The first is this, honor those who invested in you. Take a few minutes today, this week, to honor those people that have invested in you. Maybe it is a parent or think about that on Mother's Day. Maybe like Paul with Timothy, it was someone who is not biologically related to you, but someone who invested in you, someone who discipled or mentored you. Take some time to honor those people. But next, I'd encourage you to consider your own legacy. Consider your own legacy. What kind of a difference will your life make eternally? How can your life make a difference for the kingdom of God? You know, as pastors, we do a lot of funerals. And we were sitting around with our lead pastors this last week, and we were actually talking about this passage. And, you know, as this came up, we, we came up with the, we're talking about funerals. And one of our lead pastors shared with us that he was recently at a funeral, and he doesn't know if the person was a believer or not. But he said it struck him that the only thing they could think to say about this person, everyone who got up to speak, was how much they loved shopping. And I hope, you know, whenever the Lord takes me home, that someone can think of something better than that to say about me. Better than, you know, Nate really liked the 49ers or Nate really liked Mexican food or whatever it is, right? I want my life to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And I hope that you do too. And it's considering that legacy. It's considering that difference that can motivate us to be faithful to Jesus today. And especially if you're a mother, what kind of legacy are you leaving for your children? Let me commend to you the example of Lois and Eunice. Why are their names in the Bible? Because they were faithful to teach Timothy the word of God. Because they were faithful. Let me ask you, even if you're not a mother, wherever you are in life, who can you be a Paul to? And who is your Timothy? Last takeaway this morning, with this, I'll invite up the prayer team, and with this, I'll invite up the worship team. And as always, if you have a prayer need, we have people here who would love to pray with you during this last song after the service. But the last takeaway is remember your spirit-empowered calling. The Holy Spirit that lives within you does not produce fear, but instead power and love and self-control. And we are invited to use the gifts that God has given us in order to spread the gospel. And let me ask you how you can do that this week. How can you this week begin to use the gifts that God has given you? Maybe there's someone that the Lord has laid on your heart, maybe a friend or a family member that God has laid on your heart that you want to share the gospel with. Maybe you want to step up in the body of Christ in the church and find a ministry or a mission to serve in. Maybe as we've been talking about the importance of family discipleship, you want to start taking seriously that calling of investing in your family. Let me encourage you to do just that. 
You know, it's my prayer here at Coastal Gloucester. There they are. It's my prayer here at Coastal Gloucester that we would leave behind our own legacy. You know, as I think about it, guys, Coastal's not going to be here forever. Coastal Gloucester is not going to be here forever, right? One day the Lord will return and we will be in eternity and there'll just be one really awesome church. But what kind of legacy do I want Coastal Gloucester to leave behind one day? Man, I hope that one day people will look back at Coastal Gloucester and say that was a church that took the word of God seriously. That was a church that was faithful to proclaim the gospel. That was a church that loved people passionately. That was a church that served the community that they were in boldly. That was a church that loved, that proclaimed the gospel, and that God used in powerful ways. Let's do that together. Amen. Let's close with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for all the faithful people that have come before us that have invested in us, that have left a legacy of faithfulness. Father, I pray that today you would help us to consider our own legacy and that you would use us to invest in the lives of others so that your kingdom would multiply. Lord, we love you and we worship you. We pray that all these things would take place and that you would use us for your glory in Jesus' name.